0: Maybe you heard the story about a pastor who called a recent visitor to the church, and uh, he heard a child's voice on the other end of the call when uh, they answered the phone in a whisper, and they said, hello, and the pastor said, well, hello, who is this? and the pastor's like okay a kid must have gotten the phone so he kind of plays along and he says well hi jimmy how old are you 4 oh okay well that's great jimmy can can i please speak to your mom she's busy oh she's she's busy well uh, then can i speak to your dad The police, are you okay? Yeah, the firemen are here too. The firemen? Jimmy, what in the world is going on? They're all looking for me. (laughs) Oh, I love that story. So you know, maybe there's a lot of people in the world, maybe some of you are like Jimmy, you're hiding from God, hiding from his word, uh, just kinda wanting to hang out and be left alone and you're causing a lot of turmoil with people that are around you in your life. So the Bible tells us the truth that really we all do struggle at times with temptation and with sin and uh, there's times where we just wanna go into hiding and be left alone. And we do all tend at times to reject God's word and his authority and we tend to embrace our sin and we tend to rationalize it or even deny that it really is sin because the pull is so strong and it is so appealing. And it's been said that though opportunity knocks only once, Temptation bangs at our door every day. And in fact, the Bible speaks about this from the very beginning in Genesis. Before Cain murdered his brother Abel in a fit of jealous, anger, and rage, God had warned Cain about his attitude. And and God had said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to have you. God literally like personifies this this thing inside of us, this desire that causes us to tend to want to disobey God and not listen to him and go our own way. He really makes it as if it's a person that's just crouching at the door, constantly waiting to catch us off guard, to entrap us, to enslave us, to draw us away from God. Sin is crouching at the door, almost like a predator that's just waiting to spring on us. It desires to have you, God said, but you must master it. Now, God would not have told Cain that he could master sin if it wasn't possible to do. And unfortunately, we know the story. Cain didn't listen to God. He didn't master the sin and the anger and the jealousy, and it caused him to murder his brother Abel. So how can you and I avoid falling into what Cain did? And I'm not saying that we would murder, but just falling into that sin that's crouching at the door and giving in to temptation or responding in an unhealthy way to things in our life that God says we ought to say no to and the things that God says in our life that we ought to say yes to for our good and for his glory. And the Bible does give us the answer. So this morning, we're just going to look at some different Scripture passages that bring to light what does God have to say about this because it is something that we all deal with. In fact, it might surprise you, that even the Apostle Paul, who was filled with God's Holy Spirit, who was one who actually did not believe in Jesus at first and actually persecuted the church, God changed his heart. He literally had a a revolutionary um, occurrence in his life where he realized that Jesus really is the Son of God and the Messiah. So this very one that he was fighting against, now he became a strong follower of. And God used to still teach us today much of the New Testament letters that we read were written by the Apostle Paul. So listen to what this Apostle Paul says. As a follower of Christ, as a believer, And he writes about this whole thing about struggling with temptation and and sin in our lives, even as a believer. So here it is in Romans chapter seven, verse 18. He writes this, he says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil that I do not wanna do This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, there's something important for us to know right here. Paul is not blaming sin and like saying, oh, I really don't have anything to do with it. You know, I just can't help it. It's just that sin is the devil made me do it. That's not what he's saying here. He is agreeing with God, just like when God spoke to Cain in the very beginning and said, you better be careful because sin is crouching at the door, but you need to master it. Well, the apostle Paul is agreeing with that saying, you know, this is a real thing. There, there is sin within me and there's this bent that I have within me, this sin nature. And even though I want to do good, it seems like this sin nature keeps tearing at me and pulling me and I'm in this, this turmoil and this struggle. So even though I want to follow God, I've got to be honest about this sin nature, this part of me within me that doesn't really want to obey God and do what he wants. So that's what he's doing. He's, he's just agreeing with God and saying, we have a sin problem. And he's personalized. He's saying, I have a sin problem along with everybody else. So then he goes on in verse 21 and he writes this. So I find this law at work, this principle. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. See, now he's speaking as a follower of Christ, someone who wants to follow God, believes in his word, wants to do right. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law, another principle at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work with my members. Jesus even said that when we commit sin when we give ourselves over to sin and sinful behavior we literally become enslaved by that behavior and by those sins and that is absolutely one of the signs of addiction And and I say it this way because everybody's familiar with addiction in our culture, whether it's addiction to a substance such as alcohol or opioids and everything that's in the news. It could be an addiction to sexual attraction, to pornography. I mean, you just name it. Whatever it is that fires off those pleasure centers in our brain that kind of makes us feel good and we find some form of pleasure from it, there is a chance that we all can become addicted to those types of feelings and we think we have it under control But then all of a sudden we realize, "Uh uh-oh, I think this thing's got control of me. And Jesus again in love is telling us the truth that when we begin to commit sin and you begin to go down that path, you become a slave to it. And so again, the apostle Paul is is saying, man, I, I do, I see this. So in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members, in other words, within my body. And then he writes these words, because it would almost seem hopeless, but he says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? Now, here's another thing that we see that the Apostle Paul is being honest about. Because if you talk to most people in the world, you'll hear them say things like, well, well, sure, of course I'm not perfect. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? So even though I'm not perfect, I mean, I've got some good qualities. There's, there's some good in me. I mean, you know, there's, there's some redeeming qualities in me. We throw these terms around that are really deep theological words that we don't really even understand what they fully mean. But isn't that true? You'll hear a lot of people say, well, I know I'm not perfect, but hey, I'm not all bad either. Well, the Apostle Paul grew up under religious teaching, went to what we would call church all the time in Judaism, learned the scriptures, became religious... Devoted his whole life to God, so much so that he became a teacher of the, the law, God's word, the Judaic-Mosaic law. He became a teacher of it. And then he literally became a religious leader of the strictest kind, the Pharisee, of the strictest sect, the most conservative, strict, you know, fundamental Judaism-type belief that there could be. So here's a guy that most people would look at and go, well, well man, Paul, he's great. I mean, look at him. He's, he goes to church. He does all the right things. And Paul is like, no, nah, I'm a wretched person. Because on the outside, it might look like I'm, I'm trying to do all these things and I might look religious on the outside and like I'm checking all the boxes, but inside something isn't right. I'm still struggling. Can I get an amen? I mean, some of you don't want to say amen to that. But isn't that where we live so, you know, we, we try to do right, we come to church, we want to do the right things, and yet if we're honest, there's something that's still not quite right inside, and God wants to help you with that. He really does, and he offers us help for it. We've got to have our eyes open to the truth, and that's what I hope will encourage you, challenge you, but instruct you today from his word. So anyway, after Paul says this, he doesn't say, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm not all bad. No, he just admitted, he's like, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a wreck I am a wretched person because even though I try to do all these things I still have this struggle inside and there's times I don't do what I ought to do or I do things I shouldn't do and all these types of things and then he asks this question who can deliver me who can rescue me from this and then he gives this wonderful answer which is the truth and this is what Paul came to realize he said thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord So I want you to understand that though Paul writes this and we see that he can relate to all of us and we can relate to him, there is this struggle. He is not writing it as a helpless, hopeless person. He is saying, though I struggle with these things and this is going on, this is a principle in my life and in my body and in my mind, there is hope and there is deliverance through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the foundation now that he's laying and that's what That's where it all begins. How are we going to overcome temptation and sin and those things in our life? Well, on our own, we really can't do it, but with Christ Jesus in our life, with the help of His Holy Spirit, we can master sin. We can overcome it, we can resist it, but it's only through that growing personal connection with Christ and His Holy Spirit that we'll be able um, to fight against sin and temptation. You know, God warned Cain, he said, sin is crouching at the door like a predator ready to spring on us, just always looking for a vulnerable moment. But here's the other side of that, Jesus Christ isn't hiding, he's not crouching, he's not waiting to spring on you, he just openly stands before you, And in Revelation, his words are recorded as Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door. I'm not crouching at the door. I'm not trying to hide from you. I'm standing openly right here at your heart's door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and he with me. And again, when it's he, it's talking about, you know, male, female, just people. If you open up your life to him, he will come in. He says, I'll come in to you and I'll dine with you. Now, literally, he's giving a picture there of fellowshipping, having a good time, sitting at a table, wanting to be in relationship with you. And that's the picture that Jesus gives. So he says, if you will hear my voice and if you'll open the door, I'm gonna come in. And once I'm in your life, I don't want to just be this guest that you invite me in. We have a little meal together and then you tell me to get to my room. A lot of people do that. Some of you prayed a prayer a long time ago, and you invited Jesus into your life, and it was like, oh, that's good. I'm glad I did that. But Jesus, you just stick over here in the, in the bedroom. Or wait a second, let me put you in the closet. Or, well, better yet, I'm going to put you over there in the timeout chair, Jesus. And then when I want you, when I'm good and ready, when I'm going through a tough time and I need you, then I'll call you out of your timeout chair, and then you can help me. Some of you might say, Mark, that sounds harsh. Think about it. Be honest with God and with yourself. That's how some of you are treating God. You invite Christ in your life, you want him to be your convenient little savior. When everything is going bad, then you call on him. But when things are great, man, you wanna live your own way, do your own thing. And when it's convenient for you, then you'll have Jesus come down and sit and have have a meal with you. And Jesus says, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Because if you invite me in, if you hear me knocking and you invite me in, I'm serious about this relationship, so when I come in, I'm gonna rearrange furniture. And when I come in, I'm gonna repaint some rooms in the house, and I'm gonna, because I am the divine designer, (laughs) and I know how your life needs to be designed in the rooms of your soul, your spirit needs to be designed, so if you're gonna invite me in, get ready, because I'm gonna readjust everything. And if you're not to that point in your life where you give Jesus the total control in your life to do those things and to change the design of your life, then you haven't really trusted him as Lord. You might have been asking him to save you, but you are not following him as Lord because Lord means you submit to his plan, his design, his leadership. Now can I get an amen from anybody? Mm, A few of you. So for some of you, you need to begin to open up wherever you've put Jesus in your life and start giving him more permission to rearrange things cuz until you do you're still going to suffer and struggle with all this stuff and then you're going to question you're going to whine you're complain you're going to blame God when God all along is saying you just haven't figured it out yet but I'm patient I'm here to help you so the main thing today that I just want to focus on the kind of the big idea if you want to really be serious about overcoming temptation and sin in your life, you've got to be honest. And there's three areas of your life that you need to be honest with or about. Number one is honesty with yourself. And this is where I love the scripture. In James chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, look at what another follower of Christ wrote about this whole business of dealing with temptation and sin. James chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man, or again, the person, male, female, whatever. Blessed is the person who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Did you catch that? The promise of the crown of life is to those of us who love Jesus, not those of us that pat him on the head, And wanting when we're convenient and we're not showing we love him, we say we love him, but we're showing a totally different thing as we never listen to his word. We're not interested in him about anything until we need something. That's not love. But if you love Jesus, Jesus says, I've got a crown of life for you. And he loved you first. That's why he died on the cross for your sins. So this, again, is a serious thing. God loves you, and he's giving you the choice, but he's going to call you on it, and he wants you to be honest with yourself. Do you really love me, or do you just say you love me? Because we all know that healthy relationships, it's not what you say that matters. It's what you do. It's how you treat the other person in your marriage, in your friendship, on the job. You can use all the frilly words and the fake stuff, but what matters is what you do. Love is proved by action. And so it's the same way with God. Now, here's where James really nails us in chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Uh-oh. <laughs> Honesty, you got to get honest with yourself. Stop blaming everybody else. Stop blaming your parents, stop blaming your neighbors, stop blaming the culture. Stop saying I was born this way and that's just the way it is. I'm, you know, stop blaming everything because that's what we do. Stop blaming and take a look at yourself and own it. And say, you know what God says that I am a sinful person. I've got a sin nature and I can't make it without him. God, I am a sinner and I need your help. That's the beginning. Again, are you going to hear Jesus knocking at the door and open your life and let him come in and rearrange the furniture and repaint everything in your life? Or are you going to keep playing games? Are you going to keep being stubborn and say, well, yeah, I hear what he's saying, but I'm just not ready for that, so I'll take this step, I'll do that. No, you got to, it's total surrender. So be honest and stop blaming everyone else because he calls us out on it. You are tempted because you're, you're doing these things because deep down inside, it's just what you want to do. But don't blame God for that. Verse 15, then When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, brings forth death. There again, we see the wisdom in the Scripture and this principle that is at work. Again, and I'm not trying to pick on addiction. I'm just saying that the addictive behavior is something that is so common to all of us. And really what it is is just, what's your addiction? You know, because some people are like, well, yeah, that person's addicted to that, and that person's addicted to that. Well, what are you addicted to? You know, maybe it could be something as simple as too much TV. Well, Mark, what's wrong with too much TV? Or maybe it's too much time on your phone or on Facebook or whatever. I know I keep picking on that, but that's where we live, right? And it's okay to look at everybody else and say, well, yeah, you know, they really need to get their act together, but you're just as addicted, but it's it's on social media or whatever it is. And you're like, Mark, quit, quit. What's wrong with that? Well, again, if it's keeping you away from God, and if, it, and if it's not helping you grow in your relationship with God and it's distracting you, then it's a problem. It's a sin problem. Now, have I offended everybody? I hope so. I'm trying to. I don't want to leave anybody out. Okay. And, and, and I want you to know I'm included in this because I tell everybody, I get, God preaches this to me first and at me, and I just share it with the rest of you. But I'm in this with you. So when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. There's this progression, and that's the way sin works. We give in just one time, it's, it's one drink, or it's trying one pill, or it's trying one experience, or it's one website, or it's just one thing. And nobody starts out without one thing saying, boy, I just can't wait till I get hooked to this. No, it's, it's so subtle, it's, sin is crouching at the door. But that's what happens, we get off guard, we find some form of pleasure, whatever it might be, how slight or how big, and then it leads to, well, you know, I survived that, so I'm going to try it one more time. And then one more time, and then one more time, and there's this progression. James 1:15. Desire is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin when's full grown, brings forth death. Before long, you've gone down a path where it has you and you no longer have control over it. And then the scripture says this in James chapter 1, verse 16: Do not be deceived. This is how Satan works. One time won't hurt it won't kill you, well, it might. Maybe a slow death. Maybe it won't kill you at first, but eventually. That's the same tactic Satan used with Adam and Eve when he said, well, go ahead and eat the fruit. I mean, come on, it won't kill you. (laughs) And when they took the first bite, it didn't kill them instantly, but it brought death into the world. It started a process. And we're all suffering from it. And don't blame Adam and Eve, because if you'd have been the first one there, you would have done the same thing. And then James says this, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation and shadow of turning. So again, we're reassured God is good. That's what they learned at Bible school this week. In every circumstance of life, when life is tough, when it's hard, when you don't understand, when things are good, when things are bad, God is good. He really is. And he loves you. And he wants you to understand this goodness, but you've got to begin to understand the problem that you have and that I have. And so we've got to get honest with ourselves first and foremost. The second person that we need to get honest with is God. And that means to admit to him, confess to him, you're right and I'm wrong. And we need to admit our sin. Psalm 51 verses three through four. David, who was a man who was after God's own heart and followed God and wanted to honor him, he got into a sexual sin. And there's all kinds of sexual sins in our culture today. It's not just homosexuality, it's heterosexuality, it's all kinds of sexuality. And so I'm not gonna go way in deep in that because you know we got some younger ears here that probably could teach all of us a few things that we think they don't know and they actually do. But, and I'm not gonna go there, but I'm just saying this. So David had an issue with sexual sin in his life, though he was a heterosexual, and he saw another man's wife and wanted to have an affair with her, and so he acted on it, and he had the affair with her, and then she became pregnant. I hmm, wonder how that happened. And then to cover up the pregnancy, because he didn't want anybody to know about it, he basically has her husband murdered in a war, in a battle. You can read about it in the scripture. So now David is not only guilty of adultery and sexual immorality, but now he's guilty of murder. And one brave prophet went to David because God had prompted him. And I'm telling you folks, I find no joy in pointing out sin. Because number one, I got it in my life and I've asked Christ to deal with it and he is dealing with it and and I'm working with him and he's working with me but we've all got it. And so I find no pleasure in pointing it out, but I must on behalf of God, this is what God calls us to do to teach his word. And we all need to be confronted with it. So God spoke to Nathan, a prophet. Nathan went to to David who could have killed him because David might've said, I don't like what you're telling me, Nathan, and I'm the king, so off with your head. But he didn't. Anyway, Nathan proclaimed and said, David, what you have done is wrong. And David then realized you're right. And so David was honest with God instead of denying it, and David writes this psalm. It's in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. Look at what David writes, because he openly declared it for everybody for all ages to see. He, this is what he says, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Sounds just like Paul, right? Who's going to save me from this wretched person that I am? Uh, I have this sin nature within me. My sin is always before me. Now look at what he writes in verse four. And he's talking to God. He says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. Now he sinned against Bathsheba and he sinned against Bathsheba's husband. And ultimately he really sinned against the whole kingdom by doing this because he was letting them down as a leader, setting a very poor example. So he really had sinned against everybody, but he was getting it right. He said, God, you're the one that said this is wrong. And so ultimately it all began with, I sinned against you and I'm owning it, I'm I'm confessing it to you. So he's honest with God. That's where you and I need to be. You need to just be honest with God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. I'm sorry that I've been fighting your word and, and I ask you to forgive me, I confess it. Against you and you only have sinned and done this evil in your sight. David didn't try to explain it away, make it sound better than what it was. He called it what it was, what I've done is evil. My behavior has been evil. Though it felt good to me, it seemed right. It really is evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So what about you? What is it that you need to be honest with God about? And here's the thing, church, and I've done this in my own life. Sometimes when I've committed sin, it's easy to pray and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sin. I mean, that might be a little painful, but that's relatively easy. What's difficult is when you hear yourself, if you're praying privately, whatever, to hear yourself verbalize and name the sin that you have done. And that's where healing really begins. You've got to start naming it before God. Lord, I'm sorry, I have an adulterous heart. I've been looking at websites and getting into all kinds of stuff that's not honoring to my wife or my family or my kids. I'm sorry for my adulterous mind. Forgive me for looking at pornography. God, please, I need your help. Oh, now, man, Mark, he just got personal. And I'm saying that as an example for any of you or for you ladies, not to, you know, again, I'm going to be equal opportunity offender here today. Lord, forgive me for looking at everybody on Facebook and seeing the clothes that they wear and I get jealous. Or I look at their families and think, why can't I have that family? And I get angry with you, God. Forgive me for being jealous. Forgive me for being covetous. You know, whatever it is, get personal, name it. That's when you're starting to really get honest with God and don't just sugarcoat it in general. Oh, I'm sorry for my sin, Lord, please forgive me. No, name it. And then the third thing, and I'm going to wrap it up basically with this today, is you need to get honest with others. Now, there is a time and a place where you need to confess your sins openly to a lot of people because if the sin you've done has harmed a lot of people, then to the magnitude of the people that it's harmed, that's the level I believe you need to confess it to. If it's only hurt a couple of people, then you just go privately to those couple of people. God deals with everything, I think, in wisdom and in proportion. But there are times where you need to go to another person, at least one, or maybe a small group of people, and confess and be honest with them about what you've done. And especially if it's with other believers that you can confess this to so they can join and pray with you. And that's what the Scripture says. This is talking about accountability in the church. And this is why if somebody comes into the church and they're struggling with a sin and they're honest about it, none of us should condemn them at all. Not if they're confessing it. We should come alongside them and say, man, we're right there with you. Our sin's different, but we're struggling too. How can we pray for you? Let's, you know, let us help you. Let us encourage you. We're in this together. And again, James writes this. In James chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, therefore confess your sins to each other And pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that healing, I believe, is not only talking about physical healing, though it certainly does and addresses it. It's talking about spiritual healing, emotional healing. There are a lot of you here in this room today that look perfectly fine to me physically, your outward appearance, but inside you are wounded and scarred and broken spiritually and emotionally. And you need just as much healing as a person is right now in the hospital in critical care. So we need to be honest with ourselves first, then with God, then with each other, pray for each other that we might be healed. We need a support group. You were never meant to follow Jesus alone. So to be honest, there's a couple of things that we need to do. We need to have a spirit of humility and we need to pray. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses six through 10, and I really am gonna wrap it up with this because I, I, I wanna bring it to a, a conclusion of an action point. So Peter writes this, another one who followed Jesus, who struggled with the sin nature, so much so that there was one point when Peter said something to Jesus and Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Oh, how would you like to have Jesus say that to you, to call you Satan? If you don't think we don't struggle with a sin nature and we allow the devil to get in sometimes and we don't even realize it. So this is written by the one who Jesus spoke that to, but again, recognized it, submitted himself to God. And this is what Peter writes about this whole thing about temptation and sin. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So that's the order Honest with yourself, honest with God, honest with others. Humble yourself first before God, because that's where it all begins. Submit to his will. Let him be uh, willing to come in, because he is willing. Let him to come in and rearrange the furniture in your soul. Repaint everything. Regenerate. Take charge. Allow him to do that. He's God. He's sovereign. He could do it without your permission. But this is the amazing God that we serve. Though he's all-powerful, he says, I'm waiting for you to give me permission. I could force myself on you, I could make you like a robot, a puppet, but I love you too much to do that. So you say the word and I'm in there. But you gotta keep giving me permission and you gotta cooperate with me. This is the amazing God that we serve. So humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There it is, there's the prayer, it's just a continual thing. But along with that, we have to have a heart that actually wants to resist the sin. Again, I go back to the, to the problem is, like James says, too often we keep repeating sin in our life because deep down inside, we really just want to keep doing it. We, we don't want to resist it enough. It's just too easy to give in. Don't blame God for that. Take a look at your own life, and, and you need to get to a point where you say, you know what, I am a miserable, weak wretch. Mark, well, that's awful hard for me to say. Well, there's your problem. God, I am a miserable, weak, wretch. I have no power to get over this. I can't do this without you. And when you do that, God says, finally. Finally, now we're at a point where I can work with you and I'll start bringing you through the process. So here it is, Peter, the same one that writes in 1 Peter 5, he says this, "'Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, "'the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, "'seeking whom he may devour.'" Verse nine, what's it say to do to Satan? Resist him. What, you mean I can? You mean I can resist the devil? Not on your own, he'll eat your lunch. But in Christ Jesus, if you open your life to Christ and he's in there and you're cooperating with the spirit of Christ working mightily within you, you can resist the devil. And look what's going to happen. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So again, you're not alone in this. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Notice there's time involved here. It's not always instantaneous. You're going to suffer. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be an easy road. But after you've gone through that and you keep, don't give up. That's what God is saying to you, right? Somebody needs to hear this right now. You're like, I've tried this mark and I've, I've messed up. I've tried and I've messed up. I'm about ready to give up or I've given up. God's saying, don't you do it. Don't give up. After you have suffered a while, God will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Um, here it is. Put up the next slide. Resistance is not only necessary, but resistance is not futile. You know, if any of you Star Trek fans, uh, you watched uh, the series, The Borg. There are those weird alien creatures that are half mechanical and half human and all that. And, and what was their big tagline when they attacked you? Resistance is futile. <laughs> resistance is futile. You just may as well give in now because we're gonna take over. Well, I want you to know in the authority of the word of God and Jesus Christ, resistance is not futile. You can stand against the enemy. You can stand against the devil. And this, this really is, I know I'm like a typical Baptist preacher in my third closing. <laughs> so I know I'm guilty today, but I got to keep going folks till the spirit tells me to stop And He's telling me to stop after this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and what does it say the devil will do he will flee from you so why don't you do it it's because you really like it you really want to do the thing that you're being tempted to do james calls us out on don't anybody say well you know uh it was somebody else or it's not my fault no you're being enticed because of the desire that you have in your heart and you're listening to the lies of Satan. You're listening to Satan say you can't do it. You're listening to Satan say, oh, but this is so strong, it's going to be so good. You got to oh, go, come on, just one more time and then after that, it'll be okay. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But see, that's not the end of it. Look what it says. Draw near to God and he will what? He will draw near to you. It's amazing how God's word is consistent. Jesus is knocking at the door. He said, I'm here, I'm not crouching, I'm not hiding, I'm not looking to be a predator, I'm asking for permission. Open your life, let me come in, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna dine with you but don't put me in the bedroom, don't put me over in the corner, don't put me in the closet, don't put me in the timeout chair. Because if I come in, we're doing business, I'm rearranging the furniture, I'm painting the house. In fact, while you're at it, just give me the deed to the home. <laughs> just give me the title. Because trust me, I'll, I'll handle it better than you can on your own. But I will be with you. And I'll give you a better inheritance than what you think you have on your own. I mean, that's, that is scriptural, folks. That's what the Bible teaches. That's how serious this is. But you got to quit playing games. So again... After he says that, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And then this is the attitude we need to have. It sounds really sad, but it's actually saying, according to the world, we need to get serious enough that we're willing to cleanse our hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. That's letting Christ do that work. You double-minded. Stop wavering back and forth between what culture says and what God's word says. Make up your mind. Trust God. Follow his word. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Again, that's talking about the world's kind of laughter and joy that's only temporary and not eternal. And then humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Would you stand with me? Told you I was gonna quit after that. Heavenly Father, in these moments now, we've been reminded from your word, uh, just in various, those who followed you so closely, the apostles, they struggled with the same things we struggle with, Lord. And I thank you that you allowed them to go through that because they write such wisdom for us. Sometimes, Lord, we think because they lived with you back then and we're living now in the world that we have your spirit, that somehow because we haven't walked with you physically, bodily present with us, that somehow we're missing out on something that they had. And Lord, I thank you that you're showing us today through your word and reminding us that even those that walked with you when you were bodily present with them, they had the same kind of struggles that we have. But Lord, I thank you also that you remind us that we also have the same hope and power that they had. And it's all about you, Jesus. So right now, I pray that if there's any listening to this message and they've not done it yet, Lord, help them to hear your voice to hear your knock, help them to open the door of their life and invite you in, not just for a temporary thing or to put you in the corner. Lord, help them to really open their life and allow you to rearrange their life, that they might experience a revolution, a transformation that you have for them and for each one of us. Set them free from the sin that has enslaved them and the temptation. Help them to endure through the process. Even if they stumble and fall again and again, Lord, help them to not give up, help them to resist the devil, to not listen to his lies, but help them to listen to you and to trust you moment by moment, day by day, because your grace is sufficient and you are powerful and mighty and your blood is more than sufficient to cleanse us from our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So help us to start learning to live like your kids and your family the way you want as you prepare us for all eternity. And help us to experience your love in fresh and new ways and to share it with others. For those of us who have opened our life to you, Lord, I thank you for your great patience with us. And I pray that you will help us, Lord, to continue to turn these things over to you in our life that we struggle with. And I thank you, Jesus, that through you we can be free indeed because of all you've given us through your life, death, and resurrection in your name.